The law of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Good morning. Today you're going to get, you've got them before, you're going to get a Baptist sermon, uh, both in terms of content, it's going to be all about the Bible, and structure, it's going to be three points, but thanks be to God, not Baptist in terms of length. It's not going to be 30, 45 minutes, an hour. So here are the three points. Number one, the scriptures are vital. Number two, the scriptures must be interpreted. And number three, the scriptures are to be obeyed. First, the scriptures are vital. They are vital to the spiritual life. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament lesson, Nehemiah 8, we get a wonderful account of the post-exilic Israelites. So they've gone into exile in Babylon and they've gone through stages of coming back under Zerubbabel, under uh, Ezra, and under Nehemiah. And we get this wonderful account of the Israelites after the exile gathering to hear the scriptures, specifically the law of Moses, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And not only did they hear them, but they understood them and they were moved by them. This is an account of the people of God rediscovering, as it were, rediscovering the scriptures and being renewed by them. Even though if you keep reading, the renewal is somewhat short-lived. You see, the law for some time, the scriptures for some time, had been neglected by Israel. So Nehemiah ministered in uh, the 5th century B.C., a couple hundred years before that, in the 7th century B.C., Josiah, king of the southern kingdom of Judah, literally rediscovered the law. You see, Israel had gone into exile because they did not follow the Lord, because they did not keep the covenant. And how could they keep the covenant if they didn't have the scriptures in which the covenant was delineated. They had neglected the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we have the scriptures. And not just a handful of copies that through neglect or disaster could be lost. I mean, so many copies of the Bible have been printed. So not even counting now we live in the digital age. But so many copies of the Bible have been printed that it's hard to even quantify it. I think the Guinness World Book of Records estimated something like 5 billion copies of the Bible have been printed. It's the best-selling book, or really series of books. It's a library of books of all time. Even something like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter doesn't compare So we have the scriptures. We're not going to lose them. 
Jonathan's not going to have to go dig them out of a storage unit and dust them off and bring them back to us. But are we hearing them? We have them, but are we hearing them? Are we reading them? Are we meditating upon them? Do we know them? How can we, as the colic says, answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ if we don't know what that call is? If we don't know what it is we're called to as followers of Jesus Christ and what it is that we're called to proclaim? Perhaps we, and that's the church, capital C, perhaps we need to rediscover, like post-exilic Israel, the scriptures afresh. And if we want to follow Jesus Christ, we must do this. A life in Christ is a life in the scriptures. And the life to which we are called. This is so important to understand. The life to which Christ calls us is good. The commandments and exhortations which we find in Scripture. Read back through the psalm for today, Psalm 19. They enlighten us. They give us life. They're they're more precious than gold. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Number two, the scriptures must be interpreted. I mean, this is true of any writing or any piece of communication. Interpretation is inevitable, and it is interpretation, it's explanation of scripture that we find both in Nehemiah 8 and Luke 4, today's gospel. Nehemiah 8, verse 8. They read from the book, from the law of God, Clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Jesus reads from the prophet Isaiah, and quite bluntly and provocatively, I mean, imagine saying this in a culture, a people where they have blasphemy laws. I mean, if you fast forward to the accounts of the crucifixion, what is it that the chief priests are saying, the scribes and the Pharisees, that we have a law that says since he's blasphemed, he's made himself to be God, he must die. For Jesus to read the prophet Isaiah and say, essentially, that's about me and my ministry and what I'm doing now. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He interpreted it. You want to know what it's about? It's about me and what I'm doing right in your midst. In the account of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch found in Acts, Philip asked the Ethiopian eunuch um, if he understands what he is reading. And he says to him, he replies, how can I unless someone explains it to me? One of my duties as your priest is to be for you what Philip was for the Ethiopian eunuch. To try to open up 
and unlock the riches that are found in Holy Scripture so that you can know them and so that in them you can encounter the living Christ and be transformed into his likeness. And I say that in all humility. I actually say that in fear and trembling because on account of this role as teacher, I will, as James says, undergo a stricter judgment at the last day. So how do we, brothers and sisters, how do we interpret the scriptures? How do we do it? We know that we have to do it. Well, by reading them carefully and prayerfully and contextually. Yes, that means when we talk about context, paying attention to the historical and grammatical context. When we read scripture, we need to remember how to read. Some of you have heard me tell this story when I was at Church of the Ascension and we did our membership class. We talk a little bit about how to interpret the Bible and the importance of just as you're, you're reading it initially, of just reading it in its grammatical and literary context and recognizing that most of uh, the letters of the New Testament are epistles. They're, they're letters. And so if you were to get a letter, where would you start? The beginning? Well, you might look, you know, when you're a kid, you look, you get a letter from grandma or grandpa, you look for money first, and then you might, you might read the letter, you know. At least my kids, I'm like, did you read that letter from grandma? No, I just saw this. Okay, let's go back and read it. But you start at the beginning, you read through to the end. Otherwise, you can miss the context. Some of you, some of you guys know, know this story. Uh, when I was in, I won't tell you how old I was, but I was a kid. Uh, I want, I was breaking up uh, with my girlfriend at the time, and I, I took the coward's way out uh, and broke up with her in a note. I was going to just pass her this note uh, between classes. And, you know, in my defense, uh, flocks of teenage girls are pretty scary. You know, if they all descend on you at once, it, you know, you cannot get out of there alive. So every Dear John or Dear Jane letter, you know, starts the same way, doesn't it? A breakup. You front load with all of these compliments of you're the greatest person, you're changing my life, but, you know, it's not you, it's me. Imagine if someone, imagine if this girl had just read just one line out of it, just the first line, and didn't read the rest of it. She wouldn't have had the context. And she would have come and she would have sat by me at lunch. It would have been pretty awkward. So we have to remember when we're reading scripture how to read. That every verse doesn't stand on its own as a sort of proverb, but it has a context within the letter or within the piece in which it's written, and that it has, it has a biblical and historical context as well. But we also want to read Holy Scripture within the context, within the confines of holy tradition and through the lens of the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Bible is all about Jesus. And when we are reading Scripture, for example, if we read a passage in the Old Testament, 
especially if it's a passage in the Old Testament that Jesus quotes in the New Testament, like today's gospel, we should ask ourselves, what is the interpretation and what is the understanding of this text that Jesus is bequeathing to us, that he's giving to us? How did, and again, how, or furthermore, how did the apostles interpret scripture? How, how has the church understood this text for 2,000 years? That's an important question. Because I think it's quite arrogant for me as an individual to say, you know, just go to Starbucks, get my double espresso, and by a matter of IQ or brain power, I'm going to unlock the mysteries of Scripture, as if it's a matter of IQ, because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The Bible says that the carnal mind cannot understand the things of God. But for me to think, okay, I finally understood it. And if I come up with an interpretation of Scripture that is nowhere to be found for the last 2,000 years, essentially what I'm saying is that everyone before Matt got it wrong, and we finally got it right. It's important to understand, how, how did the apostles... How did the church fathers, what is the interpretation that's assumed by the creeds and councils of the church? What is it that's been handed down to us? Because the Christian faith is not something that we construct by ourselves as a naked intellectual endeavor. It's something that we've received from Christ through the apostles and through the apostles' heirs, the bishops. So that's a big topic. But we read it carefully and prayerfully in context, in and with the church, recognizing that we're reading everything through the interpretive lens of the person and work of Christ. Finally, the, the scriptures are to be obeyed. The scriptures and the interpretation of the scriptures will always evoke a response. It's like the parable of the sower. The word goes out. There's some sort of response. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we want our response to the scriptures to be a positive one. We want our response to the scriptures to be obedience and submission to the scriptures. One pastor said, his name's John Piper. We don't have a lot in common theologically, but this is a heck of a quote. He says, Submission to Christ without submission to the Scriptures is submission to a self-made Christ, not submission to Christ. The contrast between the response of the Israelites in Nehemiah 8 versus Luke 4, is stark. In the former, they hear the word of God and respond first with weeping and then with joy. They, they were weeping, presumably in part, because they had not kept the law, because they had disobeyed God, because they had not answered their call to be a light to the nations. Because they had, having gone through exile, 
reaped the curses of the law and not its blessings. And also perhaps there could be a positive side to their weeping, that they were overwhelmed by the love and faithfulness of God. That God was with them and loved them and was offering unto them redemption and renewal. So they're weeping, but then Nehemiah and Ezra called them to joy, saying, This day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Yes, mourning and weeping, repentance may come first, but repentance leads to joy. Because the scriptures give light to the eyes. And keeping them is great reward. And then we encounter the living God. And the commandments of God, again, they enable human flourishing. Both what God prescribes and what he proscribes, what he forbids, enables human flourishing. We understand this as parents, those of us who are parents. Our kids Sometimes there's things they want to do, maybe during the week, during the school week. They want to eat ice cream on a Tuesday night. They want to stay up and watch a movie. And you say no, and now you're the bad guy. You're the killjoy. Are you doing that because you want to kill their joy? Or because you want to, for the long term, increase it? We have a good father. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Who, who loves us. God, God does not forbid something in Holy Scripture because he's a killjoy. He wants to increase our joy. So if we mourn when we fail to keep the commandments of God, God will then take our mourning and turn it into joy and laughter. But if we laugh at the commandments of God, then our laughter will be turned into weeping. If you keep reading in Luke 4, and we will next week, I'm not going to really talk about it because I don't want to steal the bishop's thunder. Not that I could do that, but it's his text to preach. But you'll notice if you keep reading, the response to Jesus' interpretation and explanation of Isaiah is not favorable, to say the least. They end up, church ends, and they try to throw Jesus off a cliff because they were under the impression that the good news, which is found in, in Isaiah, this release of the the captives, this freedom from oppression, this raising up of the poor was just talking about ethnic Israel and that this victory and this year of Jubilee meant the destruction of the Gentiles, not their inclusion in the family of God. They didn't like that. They didn't like what the scriptures said. 
the scriptures were not compatible with their values. Brothers and sisters, the words of eternal life, as we see in the Gospels, as we've seen in church history, the words of eternal life evoke various and sundry reactions. And if we are not only hearers of the word, but also proclaimers and doers of the word, then we might, we will, like our Lord, run into opposition and pushback. The Lord is good, and therefore the word of the Lord is good. So let us hear his words, which are vital to the spiritual life. Let us seek to understand the scriptures, reading them carefully and prayerfully in and with the church, and let us obey the scriptures, knowing that and following them, we are following our Lord, and in following the Lord Jesus, there is great reward. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.